Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. Hey, welcome to Screw It, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. This is the podcast where we are going over the original Spider-Man comic book issues done by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Oh my gosh. I'm one of your two co-hosts, my name is Will Hines. I'm the other half of that pair of co-hosts, my name is Kevin Hines. We're brothers, so that's something. Brothers, we're on opposite uh, ends of the continental United States. I'm on the Los Angeles end. And I'm on the uh, East Coast. I'm in New Jersey, just Thank outside you. New York City. Thank you for not lying and saying that you're in New York City, because you're not. I feel like I'm in New York City, but I'm not. I'm in New Jersey. I work and spend a lot of time in New York, but I uh, live in a, a lovely, the lovely Garden State. Uh, Kevin, we got a heck of an issue to go over today. This is one of the this one of the great ones. Great. Oh, this is amazing this is a really Spider-Man good issue. Yeah, Amazing Spider-Man number twelve, which is called Unmasked by Doctor Octopus, and uh, woof, it's a it's a banger. Yeah, we had a Doctor Octopus issue last uh, episode, which was issue eleven, mm-hmm. uh, which is also great, good. very good, and this one tops it in every single way. I feel like it's just really fun. It's weird that Doctor Octopus is the villain that like brings out all the great Spider-Man stories. You know, Green Goblin is sort of the premier Spider-Man villain, I think. But Doc Ock, I, I was talking to somebody that maybe you know. Uh, his name is Brian Hines. And is he our other brother? Might be our other brother. I didn't ask him that. Yeah, never heard at of the him. time. Uh, but I was talking about um, uh, this project I'm trying to do where, uh, with you, where I'm trying to find uh, um, episodes of the cartoon, and I'm only looking at Doctor Octopus episodes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and he's and I was like, oh, certain cartoons he never faced Doctor Octopus. Like just like he never faced him in Spider-Man and the Amazing Friend. He never Doctor Octopus was not in that, as far as I can tell. And he's like, oh, why don't you do Green Goblin? And I was like, Green Goblin doesn't feel like the Ditko villain even though Ditko created him and that's where he starts yeah that feels like John Romita like Dr. Octopus feels like the arch nemesis of this run I'm willing to agree with you on that point Whatever tears anyway, this podcast apart, it's not going to be Dr. Octopus because we agree. It's on not going to be a love for Dr. Octopus, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, and this issue is a testament to that. It's a great, great story. Um, but before we get to the issue itself, Kevin, let's go through our many segments. Great. Um, we start with cover talk. So actually, we do start a little bit with this issue. Cover talk. So a good cover. Really good cover. Yeah. Uh, I like the covers that have backgrounds. This one does not. But other than that, everything about this cover, I really enjoy. Sometimes the covers are like a bunch of images just kind of jammed together. This is like a whole image. It's Dr. Octopus pulling the mask off of Spider-Man, revealing that he's Peter Parker with J. Jonah Jameson watching, Betty Brant watching, a bunch of non-diverse cops. Yeah, uh, it's great too because like this actually happens in the issue. This is not a misleading image. Right. Sometimes the cover will show something crazy and it never happens. It's sort of a common complaint from old school comics fans. And it also uses like a well-worn phrase. I don't know if Marvel started this phrase or if it started with DC, but this not a dream, not an imaginary tale. <laughs> yeah. Uh, claim. Which is really, Alan Moore is the first person to make fun of that, like, because he did an imaginary Superman story in the mid 80s. Um, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, I think it was called, yes. where it was like a fictional kind of wrapping up of the Superman continuity right before they rebooted it or something like that. But his, his right. story did not take place in continuity. So, you know, he would preface it by saying, this is an imaginary Superman story. But then he followed it up with a sentence, but aren't they all imaginary? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think it became, I think this is either in reaction to or uh, popularized by DC because they did so many stories where the twist would be, it was all a dream. Ah. You know, it'd be like the cover would show like, you know, Superman's pooping out gold and 
be like, what? I got to read this issue. It's like, yeah. not just a dream. Yeah. Like, oh, it didn't really happen. That re- that story inspired Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it just- The it old probably, Kurt Swan, Kurt Swan gold poop story. They must have just gotten letters of people complaining about yeah. like that that sort of being a lame twist. So now they always are like, no, this really happens. So Spider-Man yeah. really does get unmasked in this story. Yep. He ain't lying. Uh, but yeah, it's a good issue. I'm looking forward to talking about it after we burn through our other segments. All right. What's the next segment? Uh, what else is going on at Marvel Comics uh, at this time? We're talking now May of 1964. Okay. Are they talking about the Beatles? Because Hard Day's Night is going to be released in two months. I mean, we'll the, talk about that, the, I guess, in two months. Like, that'll be a great, you know, for episode 16 of our podcast. You can mm-hmm. bring that up. Well, now seems pointless. Okay. Um, what we should talk about is the exciting stuff happening at Marvel Comics, which is really nothing. Okay. Uh, nothing exciting. It's all um, just next issues of everything. Uh, there's some things coming up in the next few months that are pretty cool, but uh, we're not there yet. Some of our segments, we might have been overzealous in making them month uh, per episode segments because some of our segments are more inactive than active. Sure. You mean like this next segment? Yeah. Which is Spider-Man podcast news? <laughs> which we have none. And we usually have none. <laughs> we rarely have. I think the first time we introduced it, we had some. Yeah. Maybe one other time. I'm not giving up on this segment. I think it's going to be great. Oh, you know what? Here's a little Spider-Man news. Ooh. This is silly. I watched a, a clip last night of, I think from the Olympics. He, I don't even know the full story of this, but someone um, did a ice skating routine. So a Chinese uh, skater did a routine to... The theme to Spider-Man sung by Michael Buble. The Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Yeah. You must have been so excited. Uh, it was very fun. He like was doing like web shooter uh, hands and um, <laughs> he had sort of a spidery themed costume. And at the end, instead of being handed flowers, he was handed a Spider-Man doll. We got to get this guy on the podcast. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's in China. It'll be a tough, tough call. We'll work it out. I mean, that'll be a really, that'll be an interesting time zone. It's, there's probably only like 15 minutes a day where it's possible for all of us to be awake. Uh, um, but yeah, the guy seemed to like Spider-Man and I, I, I like him for that. Hey, I made fun of this segment, but now I think it might be the best one of this whole episode. Great. Uh, so now our next segment. Yes. Uh, this is where I tell you about a current thing happening in current Spider-Man comics and you react to it. Okay, I'm ready. So I think last week I talked about Aunt May. Yes. Uh, so this week I'm going to talk about Norman Osborn. Okay. So Norman Osborn is the Green Goblin. Yes. Uh, but for a long time in the comics, he has been depowered. He has lost his Green Goblin powers. Okay. Uh, his face is sort of horribly scarred. He's still evil, but he's less crazy. Okay. Uh, so he's trying to find some way to get his powers back. Okay. Uh, so his, the new status quo is that he has gotten Carnage. Now, Carnage is a symbiote offshoot of Venom. Okay. So uh, there was a period where Venom was trying to become a good guy. Okay. Or at least at least a Punisher level good guy. Right. So to fill the gap now that we had lost the super evil Venom, they created Carnage, who was like Venom, but eviler. Okay. Uh, and now uh, Norman Osborn has got the Carnage symbiote and he's going to become, at least temporarily, it seems, the Red Goblin. Uh Norman Osborn is. No, Carnage. That's right. Norman Osborn is taking the symbiote that makes Carnage, uh, Carnage, and he's going to wear it to become the Red Goblin. Okay. So what do you think of all that? I mean, one of the things I don't like about (laughs) modern comics is like the continuity is so complicated. Just like 
Hasn't Norman Osborn been killed a couple times and stuff He's like that? He's only been killed once that I know of. Only once. Okay. But he was really killed. I'm I'm still a little sad that he came back. I get that they brought him back because he is the main villain, but he was dead for 20, 30 years. That, wow, okay. Oh. When was Gwen Stacy's uh, storyline? Like 73 or 74 or something like that? He died shortly after that. Oh, I didn't know that. I, for, oh, I forgot that. Um, And then once he was dead, like, you know, there was a little bit with like his son Harry being the goblin. For the most part, Harry was the goblin. I think at that point. Wow. Um, who also died and he died at some point. Um, they're both alive now. Don't worry about them. That's one of the difficulties of modern comics is like you feel this oppressive weight of decades of backstory. Like when we were kids reading Spider-Man in the 80s, DC comics had that feel because this was sort of like yeah. right before Crisis of Infinite Earths, which simplified a bunch. And right before they did a bunch of reboots, this is like early 80s. So you pick up action comics, it'd be issue 675. Yeah. And it'd be littered with like, see issue 400, you know, uh, here comes a Mazo back from 1972 or something like that. Yeah. And I think some people are better at writing that stuff than others where it doesn't feel like you need to go back and read all that stuff. Yeah. And some people are not good at that. Um, but yeah, I don't love this storyline. It's the very end of Dan Slott's run. And I think he's willing to get a little complicated for this last story. Um, he's basically like, no one's starting to read my book now. Yeah. yeah. They're waiting to leave or they're already reading. Um, he's supposedly great. So I trust him. I retract my opinion. Uh, I think you're right. It is way too complicated. I'm not excited about that storyline, but I think Dan Slott's going to go out with a bang and I'm curious to read it anyway. All right, cool. Um, do we get to the issue now? Now we get to the issue. This is the Ooh. bulk of our podcast. So let's catch our, our listeners up. Last issue, Doc Ock had gone to Philadelphia uh, and, and we found out that Betty Brandt, Peter Parker's love interest, who is also the secretary for J. Jonah Jameson, speaking of complicated storylines, yeah. that her brother... It's 12 issues a, in. I find it unwieldy. <laughs> yeah. Time to reboot. Reboot at <laughs> issue 13. Um, that Betty Brant's brother was a lawyer with gambling issues. He'd gotten mixed up with um, some some mobsters. That's and right. Now, and now was working, was being roped into helping Dr. Octopus. And so right. Peter Parker finds out that his love interest is sort of one degree removed from Doc Ock and he wants to like save her and capture him and stuff like that. And her brother gets killed in a gunfight last issue. Yes. We capture a lot of the villains that he was tied up with, but Doc Ock escaped at the very end. So now in this issue, we're tying up that loose end and and we have Spidey trying to get Doc Ock. Yeah. So Doc Ock is still loose for a month and now Spider-Man, this is his chance to catch him. Ah, so lots of drama. I mean, in the first panel of this issue starts with the headline, Dr. Octopus escapes from Spider-Man. It gives us a little, photo, gives us a little a photo of Spider-Man and it says, Spider-Man, overrated criminal crime fighter. Yeah. The, the Daily Bugle would be such a fun newspaper to read. <laughs> Every day it would just be like so opinionated, you know, like bad guy so-and-so approaches true hero, whatever. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah. So right away we've learned that Dr. Octopus has escaped for Spider-Man and Spider-Man is overrated and, you know, he's making police <laughs> men's job harder by not catching Doc Ock according to this article. The first article, the the first sentence of the article is so funny. Once again, the mysterious Spider-Man has interfered with police and allowed a dangerous criminal to get away scot-free. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's hurt. That's hurtful. Yep. Um, 
So Spidey is upset by all this press. He's going to check up on J. Jonah Jameson, and he sees that uh, that uh, J. Jonah Jameson's having trouble finding a temporary replacement for Betty Brant because she's been mixed up with her brother in Philly. That's right. And uh, uh, Betty Brant returns to the office, and she's a little worried that she won't get her job back. Uh, but she doesn't need to be because J. Jonah can't hold down any secretary other than uh, Betty Brant's the only one who could put up with him. Yeah. Also, she's changed her hairstyle, Kevin. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's a Stan Lee character, so hair is very important. It's a Stan Stanley female character, which means priority one, the men in her life. Priority two, hair. Priority three, shopping. Priority four, having a personality. (laughs) That being said, Betty, it's still pretty cool in this issue. Yeah. She has a couple good moments. Yeah. We haven't quite gotten into the uh, jealous of Liz Allen thread that's coming up. Um, Yeah, she's still the coolest female character in Spider-Man comics that we've seen, I think. Or I guess she's tied with Annie, maybe. (laughs) That's her only good. It's those two and Liz are the only female characters, I believe. Yeah. Um, okay, so Spidey, you know, witnesses Betty Brant coming back to work and then he changes into Peter and shows up because he's in love with Betty and he wants to see her as Peter Parker because she hates Spider-Man now. Uh, that's right. She hates Spider-Man. She blames Spider-Man, if not logically, with her heart for what happened. Yep. She associates him with the death of her brother. Yeah. Uh, and Peter walks in and J. Jonah gives one of his classic uh, teen reactions. This is an office, not a social club. You can come in here whenever you have a set of exclusive news photos for me and not before. <laughs> now get. What a joy. Um, yeah. Love him. Okay, so then we, we the next page we see what Doc Ock's been up to, which is committing a series of insane crimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one of the crimes is pulling a helicopter down to the ground. <laughs> I mean, I think the army needs to get involved. Like, this guy does crazy stuff. Yeah, outside of New York, you can just commit crimes anywhere you want. No one will stop you. <laughs> I don't know why they went to Philly. I mean, the, event, the Avengers exist now, but nobody's out to get Doc Ock. He's like in that special gray area where he's kind of bigger than Spider-Man would almost bigger enough too big for Spider-Man but not big enough for the Avengers to care also he's just stealing bags of money like every Spider-Man villain yeah just just sacks of cash uh, and then like he sits on top of a water tower and he's sad because Spider-Man hasn't come after him yeah um, why hasn't he followed me I've given him every chance all the bait he needs perhaps I'll have to return to New York and find him yeah why did they go to Philly he went to Philly to break out uh, Blackie but that could have happened in New uh, York like prison Blackie a greatly named mob <laughs> Thank God. He had to break him out of prison to be handed money. I'm going to say it again. I'm really glad Blackie was actually a white character. Or, or we, couldn't, we couldn't talk about any of these old Spider-Man comics. There was an issue where there was a black character named Blackie. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what we would do. Yeah. Like that would ruin, ruin a whole thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it'd Luckily be very easy for a terrible a terrible story to pop up here in the middle and us just to be uh, dancing around that. But uh, I mean, other than the lack of black characters and the lack of anybody who's not white, uh, there's not yeah, there's not overt yeah, there's not overt racism. It's sort of like passive racism, passive racism, passive sexism. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, a systematic uh, uh, white men on top uh, uh, pervades this entire issue, but nothing overtly offensive. <laughs> Wait, do we like this comic? <laughs> I do. Yeah, it's our favorites. Um, well, the, the characters that we do have are pretty great. So Doc Ock re- wants to return from Philly. Now here we, we get to an interesting subplot. Peter's at home with his Aunt May and he's getting a fever. Yeah, she's worried he may and, be getting a cold and doesn't want him to stay out late. Because he's fragile. Um, now we cut to... 
Peter Parker at his high school where there's what, always... Yeah, what are the teens doing uh, at high school this day? What they're always doing, which is catching up on the latest crime news <laughs> as soon as Peter walks up. Yeah, that's right. He walks up, they're reading the Daily Bugle, uh, and they're talking about wanting Spider-Man to, to stop Dr. Octopus and who is Spider-Man, stuff that's very relevant to this issue. There's even an yeah. article on spiders in general. The Daily Bugle hates Spider-Man so much they remind readers, hey, spiders are gross. Maybe you should hate Spider-Man. You know what? Good argument. Which, good argument. Yeah, it's a good newspaper. Um, oh, you know, it's what I really love that Flash Thompson, who is the bully that's been bullying Peter Parker, is you know for his whole high school existence, if not longer, loves Spider Man, and that Peter Parker to his high school friends pretends to not like Spider-Man. Yeah. I think that's very cool. Yeah, Flash is pro-Spider-Man, so he's right. And Peter Parker's anti-Spider-Man, so he is wrong. It's funny, yeah. Like, um, there's just tons of uh, good, I think the word is irony in a in a Spider-Man issue. You know, like, J. Jonah Jameson employs Peter Parker but hates Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, Peter's getting paid by the... That's right. If J. Jonah didn't give Peter Parker money, Spider-Man couldn't afford his web shooters or any of his gadgets. Yeah, he's bankrolling Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, fun. Uh, so... So we have a little cutaway as well when Doc Ock gives Betty Brant a phone call. Yeah, scary. Uh, doesn't say anything, but just calls basically to make sure she's in New York because he's planning to kidnap her to lure Ugh. Spider-Man. Yes, uh, you know, Spidey has always said that he has to have a secret identity so his loved ones aren't hurt. And this is bearing him out because Doc Ock has figured there's some personal relationship between Spidey and Betty and he's going right after her. Yeah, because he took Betty to Philadelphia. That's why Spider-Man followed him. Yep. Doc Ock is smart. He's not just a nuclear physicist. He's a pretty good detective. Yeah. Moments uh, after calling Betty on the phone, Doc Ock shows up at the Daily Bugle. That's right. And Peter Parker happens to be here. Um, and Doc Ock kind of grabs Peter and Jay Jonah, pushes them aside, and steals away Betty Brandt. I think it'd be funny if in every issue of uh, Spider-Man, you cut to a bystander on the sidewalk going, only in New York. <laughs> when, when like a guy's climbing up the side of the building. Yeah, because Dr. Octopus just climbed up the side of the Daily Bugle and went in like the 10th floor or something like that. Yeah, but sometimes that happens in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, only in New York, sometimes in Philadelphia. Um, That's okay. the way that saying should be. Yep. So Betty's captured. And Peter yep. feels like he can't do anything because he's in his Peter Parker clothes. That's right. He's in his blue suit and he doesn't want to mess it up by fighting Dr. Octopus. Yeah, he's only got 10 of them. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And then so Jay Jonah decides to put a, uh, 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 I guess, a, a headline on the paper saying that Spider-Man has been challenged by Doc Ock to save Betty Brandt. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, to keep up the ruse, Spider-Man goes to, to, he's really doing a lot to keep this illusion of the secret identity alive. He goes and meets with Jonah to ask him what the article's all about. Yep. Even though Peter was there and knows all about it. Yep. And it's all basically what's happened is uh, Doc Ock has said, I've taken Betty to Coney Island. Come and get her. So we see that Spidey's having trouble sticking to the walls because of his fever. Yeah. He says, I must be sick. Yeah. So now we cut to Coney Island. J. Jonah Jameson is going to go just to make sure that Parker doesn't screw it up. Yeah, it's too big a story just to leave in the hands of a high schooler, which is honestly, that's a great point. He should not trust Peter Parker as much as he does. Uh, he's right. And this is also, you know, you know, we've talked about how J. Jonah Jameson must actually be a good reporter, you know, because he's like the publisher of this big newspaper. And he does show like real guts, like he's... 
going to a definitely dangerous place, and he doesn't seem to be scared at all. Well, the only reporter we know that works here was Frederick Foswell, and he's in prison for being the big man, <laughs> so he might not have an yeah. option. So we cut to Coney Island. Doc Ock is climbing up the Ferris wheel, and he's put Betty. He just seems to be moving her around to different locations. Yeah, he's taking her out of the Ferris wheel and put her on the ground because he wants for better photographs. <laughs> what was that, yeah. cat? She didn't. <laughs> she doesn't like this part of the story. <laughs> she gets scared when Doc Ock is getting <laughs> yeah. threatening. She's a smart cat, smart cat. Uh, but yeah, so we we do we do this podcast at you know where it's 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 in the morning for me, yes. like at eight or eight thirty yeah. in the morning usually when we record, and that's when my cat demands the most attention, and uh, she doesn't care that I'm doing a podcast. She's uh, yeah. I also have cats. Right in my face. I have cats. They were demanding attention a little while ago. Now they're sleeping near me, which is nice yeah. and quiet. We're pretty tough guys. Yeah, I mean between the two of us, we've got three cats. <laughs> is that how you define tough? I think doing a podcast about Spider-Man while petting cats on opposite coasts is the definition of manliness. Great. So we we fit it. Um, I feel like we're at we're, we're a Hemingway short story. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're yeah. almost punching sharks. We're yeah. one step removed. Um, okay, so Spidey. Spider-Man is looking for Doc Ock, and he is he even having trouble walking. He's like leaning on things. He's holding his head. Yeah. Uh, he's he's thinking about so, not. He's he doesn't know. He thinks he should lie down for a while. He says. Yeah. Um, I love this twist. Very, very often in Spider-Man comics, we've seen the first confrontation Spidey fails. Yeah. So they, they kind of need like creative ways to make that happen. And this is just one of the best. Yeah. Because Spidey is weakened. Doc Ock is just having his way with him just easily. You know, Spidey's punches are totally uh, weakened. Um, and Doc Ock is punching the crap out of him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, also Betty escapes on her own. Oh, yeah. So Betty uh, uses her long fingernails to free herself from the ropes. Doc Ock underestimated the power of a woman's fingernails. Um, that's right. I forgot about that. And so that gives Spidey an opening to attack Doc Ock from behind. But it's but it's no use because he's too weak. Yeah, he punches Doc Ock and uh, Doctor Octopus thinks uh, Spider-Man is uh, phoning in and he's like, are you trying to frustrate me? Fight back, do you hear? Don't water down my victory by making it too easy. The, the Always Great Art by Steve Ditko, it does, he somehow does draw the punches. They look weaker somehow. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's just the reactions, I guess. Like Doc Ock doesn't drop back as much. I mean, it's still a teenager punching an older man. Still got <laughs> yeah, I would hurt think, a little yeah, bit, I would Even think. a non-powered teenager should do well against, I think he's over 50. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, he's probably lo- young. I would say he's in the low 50s. Maybe, okay, I'm going to say at youngest, Doc Ock is 43 years old. That's that is the absolute Ooh, youngest. That's my age. <laughs> well, you, so at his youngest, well, if you want to be as successful as Dr. Octopus, you really got to step it up. Uh, you know what? He might be my age. He, he's, you know, he's got a full yeah. head of hair. It's mm-hmm. not gray. Yeah. You know what? You're probably right. He's probably 43, 45 in that range. Anyway, he's beating the crap out of Spider-Man. Uh, knocks and him out. He kind of holds him out with his arms, knocks him out, takes his arm uh, and pulls off his mask. And J. Jonah, Betty Brandt and, and some random police officer lean forward to get a close look at who Spider-Man is. Peter Parker, which we knew. No surprise to us. Oh, I don't know if you knew that, Kevin. Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Those are not just those yeah, are not just two a, characters running parallel in this book. It was my guess. I was trying to figure out who is most likely Spider-Man, and I've always suspected well, right Peter on, Parker. We spent a lot right of time on the with money. him. And um, uh, yeah, and so uh, J. Jonah. But because it was such an easy yes. fight, Doc Ock doesn't believe it's really Spider-Man. He pulls off the mask and goes, I should have known. It, it isn't Spider-Man. It's that weakling brat, Peter Which Parker. Is, when I was a kid, I was blown away by this twist. I was like, oh, what a brilliant way to cover. Yeah. Like, yeah, they think Peter's faking it because he was so sick he couldn't have been Spider-Man. Yeah, he was as strong as Peter Parker. Yeah. And we know Spider-Man is stronger than that. He didn't use his webbings even. Like, he didn't do anything Spider-Man-like other than, like, wear yep. the costume. 
costume and looked just the perfect size. Um, and it is like the most romantic thing he could have possibly done. He's trying to sit. He risked his life to save Betty. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a great moment. Doc Ock is furious, just tosses Peter Parker aside and leaves. Yep. Um, although there's a funny line from the cop, like Jameson says, the fool, I ordered him to take pictures of Octopus, not try to be a hero. And the cop goes, you mean you knew Octopus was here? (laughs) Which is like a totally reasonable question for the police to ask. You knew one of the most dangerous helicoptering pulling villains in the country was here and you didn't tell the police? It's funny when that line, when I read that line, I didn't think about the fact that Jonah didn't go, I better call the police immediately. Yeah. It didn't occur to me. It felt normal and typical. And at this moment, I'm like, yeah, I guess he should have called the police. There would have been no downside to that. So we uh, we cut to Forest Hills. Peter is in bed. Um, does uh, Aunt May... Told, oh, sorry, go. Does Aunt May know what happens? At this moment, she doesn't. She does it by the morning. Okay. Because um, Aunt May was going to freak out. Like, Aunt May gets worried when Peter goes to dances. She doesn't freak out as much as you thought, but initially she she just says a nice policeman brought him home said he had fainted in the street uh-huh and she goes i knew he was coming down with something and the doctor informs us who does a house call great doctor um it's just a 24-hour virus it makes one weak as a kitten for a day but it'll be fine he'll be fine in the morning uh peter has a dream where spider-man is yelling at him it's a great panel I love it. Yeah. It's kind of creepy. Uh, yeah. Spider-Man is screaming at him and he's talking in his sleep. So worried about Betty. So worried. Uh, this virus was powerful enough to totally negate his powers, but after a one night sleep, he's totally healed. Yeah. He wakes up and he does a backflip. Yep. That's what I do when I'm feeling good. Uh, and then he sees that his Spider-Man costume has been delivered to Aunt May. Okay. Yeah. He puts it on, covers it up with his normal clothes. Which is a blue suit. Um, yep. Blue suit number two. Uh, and then uh, Aunt May has found out what happened, which is that he he disguised himself as Spider-Man and she gives him a good little talking to. Yeah, she's wagging her finger in his face. I heard what really happened to you last night. How could you possibly take such a chance impersonating that dreadful Spider-Man? Yep. And he's got a bunch of rags in a bundle and he's like, Aunt May, I'm going to take that silly costume out and burn it. What she should say is like, how'd you get such a nice form-fitting costume? You know what I mean? Like, I see people dressed, and this is not Aunt May talking, this is Will Hines. I see people dressed as sure. Spider-Man every Halloween. They don't look as good as Peter's supposed costume was. I mean, Flash Thompson wore a similar costume and looked just like Spider-Man, enough to fool Dr. Doom. New York City of the 60s has great costume makers. <laughs> and everyone's fit. Yeah, everyone's in shape. Except for Doc Ock. Except for the villains. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Spider-Man goes to school, uh, Peter Parker goes to school, and Liz Allen is going gaga for Peter Parker. Yeah, he just, he's, he's instantly the most romantic boy at um, whatever the name of this high school is. Is it like Empire High or something? It's Midtown, Midtown High. In Forest Hills, okay. That's right, that's right. And Outer Bird school naming itself after a neighborhood in Manhattan. Pretty, pretty aspirational. Yeah. I mean, maybe he goes all the way into Midtown. He's like, it's like a magnet school situation. It's like Stuyvesant or something. Yeah. I think that's what they do in some of the, in, uh, uh, in the spectacular Spider-Man. I think that's how they justify it. Okay. Uh, I was uh, ready to make fun of it, but I've been thwarted. Okay. So Liz Allen is in love with no prize. Liz Allen, the most popular girl in high school, Kevin. Yeah. Is nuts about people. This is the girl anybody in high school would go, would go for. They, this is who they want to date. Uh, I love how Flash tries to make fun of Peter for this. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows Parker never expected to really bump into Octopus. He was just trying to show off for kicks. Which is also funny since he dressed up as Spider-Man himself. Yeah, he did the same thing like a couple issues 
ago. Uh, but he's making fun of Peter for doing it. And Liz turns on Flash. Yes. I mean, too much, I would say. Yeah. Let me tell you something, Flash Thompson. As far as I'm concerned, Peter Parker proved he has enough courage to match his brains. And as for you, my dear ex-boyfriend, you've got neither. Yeah. And he's like, gosh, Liz, what are you mad at me for? Which is true. He didn't do anything. He did what he's always done. And all of a yeah. sudden, it, it's it's got him on the a bad side of Liz Allen. Man, whether you are a coward or a brave person goes a long way in the Ditko Lee universe. You know what I mean? Right. Like, he's not a coward. I'm sexually attracted to him. He is a coward. I hate him and he's scum. And we cut back to Dr. Octopus, who has an incredible move, has yeah. an incredible reaction to this situation. He's yeah, so he mad. He a newspaper article about talking about how Peter Parker tricked him. Yep. And he just like crumbles all the newspapers up. But then his next move is great. He goes to the zoo and lets all the yeah. animals free. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He like breaks a, a, a stick of wood. He breaks some metal bars. And then he goes to the zoo and releases all these wild animals. He's so mad uh, about Peter Parker that he's punishing the citizens of New York City by releasing animals from a zoo. Yeah, that's great, too. He, I mean, Titko draws some great animals. I mean, it's just sort of like, what would be fun to draw? Let's say that Dr. Octopus releases the animals. Yeah. He'd be releasing uh, like a bunch of officers. I would also say the police officers in this issue are great police officers. They are ready for weird situations. They they had they're ready to for villains on Ferris wheels, leopards running through the street. Yeah, they are netting a leopard. They're not like tranquilizing these animals. They're just tossing nets on them and dragging them back to the zoo. Here in the uh, New York City Police Force of 1960s, you're going to go through your regular training. Here's how you uh, make sure your partner's covered if he's heading into a dangerous warehouse. Here's how you net a leopard. Here's how you here's how you tranquilize an old man with wings in the sky. <laughs> That's right. They're ready for anything. But I love this too. They're so brave. One of the cops was like, be careful, Joe. This baby's a killer. The other said, we can't afford to be careful, Bill. Too many lives may be at stake. Yeah, for, for a lot of the early 60s, Marvel is extremely pro-police. I mean, like, oh, like every police is a good guy for, for a long time. Yeah, not just a good guy. These guys are above and beyond. No one would blame this police officer for not, like, wrestling a jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all heroes. Um, uh, Spidey yeah. helps. Spidey shows up and he gets a lion and then takes care of a uh, bear. bear. Yeah. And then a gorilla. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I feel like, you know, J yeah. if Jack Kirby, the other big Marvel artist, was doing this issue, just having animals wouldn't be enough. They'd ha aren't they, like, communist super apes in the Fantastic yeah, he, he faces uh, the red ghost and the super apes or whatever. <laughs> uh, Kirby would give these yeah, guys some powers. They'd have some sort of electronic gizmos on their back. <laughs> um, he'd also be punching them. They'd all be punching each other through walls. Yeah. So this is just a lot of tying things up and leaping over each other. Okay, so Spidey rounds up the animals. Meanwhile, Doc Ock is still just on a rampage. He's so mad. Well, I had to look up something here, too. Did you know uh, at some point uh, when he's lowering the gorilla into the police officer's net, they go, Spider-Man is a poor man's Frank Buck? I, no, I do not know who Frank Buck is. I had, to, I had to look it up. Frank Buck basically was some guy who would go to Africa and Asia and catch animals for zoos. Oh, he was, like, famous for that. He wrote a, yeah, he wrote a book called Bring Him Back Alive <laughs> uh, and was named the first director of the San Diego Zoo, but he was bad at them. Yeah, I bet. He kept capturing the animals in one cage and moving them to another. I think he didn't know how to necessarily treat, take care of animals, though he wanted animals to be taken care of. He he didn't want them to be, like, hurt. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, that's who Frank Buck was. Apparently that's somebody that uh, I would have known if I was a police officer in the 1960s. Earlier in this issue, Peter Parker compares himself to Billy Graham. Yeah. And uh, Billy Graham just died in real
real life, but I not lived him. He died this week. It's when he's getting bullied by Flash Thompson. Go ahead, yeah. laugh, you bird brain clown. Someday everyone will realize that it's only the people who are inferior themselves that keep picking on others. How about that? I'm beginning to sound like a teenage Billy Graham. It's another great example of Stanley like writing something and then immediately kind of making fun of himself. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, back to the current events. Animals just, have been captured. Yeah. And Doc Ock is on a rampage. He's flipping cars and knocking <laughs> signs off buildings. He's just going he's nuts. Mad. He's going crazy. <laughs> um, so Spider-Man shows up to confront him. And Doc Ock couldn't be more excited. He immediately smashes a water tower in joy. Yeah. And the water all goes right into the window of the Daily Bugle and drenches Jonah Jameson. Well, you know what? That's legit funny. <laughs> it is very funny. Jonah is drenched. And he goes, blast him. That's the real Spider-Man, all right. Parker would never have had the nerve to soak me that way. Now, maybe I'm overreacting, but like, I think that this issue is so great. And one of the reasons I love it is like, I mean, Stanley, you know, he's a ham. His dialogue is like over dramatic, but his stories are legit, really, really good. Like, just like, J. Jonah Jameson watching, getting splashed with water, uh, the Liz Allen having a crush on Peter, like the way all these threads are kind of being twisted around and interweaving. Like, this is just a great story. Yeah. How much of this is Ditko? How much of this is Lee? I don't know, but it's all good. It's yeah. just working right now. Yeah, this is, well, yeah, I'll credit it to the team. You're right, because we don't know who came up with what, but they are a great team. Like, these stories are, are just so fun. And I think in the, you know, like a 15% less quality, Stan Lee's stories become really hack. Like, I feel like a lot of those amazing fantasy stories before they introduced Spider-Man were very like predictable Twilight Zone ripoffs. Uh, but now with just like a little, just like a little bit more of continuing characters, a 15% higher quality. I mean, these are just some of my favorite comics of all time. This, they're just so much fun. Yeah. I mean, this is just, this is an issue where it's just firing on all cylinders too. So now we've, we've had Doc Ock building up an anger this whole time. He's released animals from zoos. He's flipped cars over. He's knocked over m- movie marquee signs. Now he's got his prey in his sight and they're going nuts. Yeah. They're climbing up a smokestack tower. Uh, he just misses Spider-Man as Spider-Man. Spider-Man sort of tries to tie him up in his webbing and that fails. Uh, he's just chasing Spider-Man all around the city, bragging about how tireless he is. Yep. Spidey does a bunch of like cool flips and vaults over a bunch of flagpoles off the side of a building. It looks great. Yeah. And then he jumps down. He finally jumps down a uh, air vent. He At first he's just hiding, but Doc Ock sees him. Yeah. And then he, as he's falling down this air vent, he comes up with a great plan, which is to slingshot himself back up through the air vent uh, at the perfect timing to get up close to Doc Ock because we know the trick to beating Doc Ock is getting past the arms. Yep. You got to get inside the arms. Um, so yeah, he slingshots himself up the air vent. Yeah, it's, it's basically like every issue Ditko's got to be like, or Ditko or Lee or, you know, some combination of them has to be like, how are we going to find a new way to draw this fight? How can we make things interesting visually? Like Jack Kirby subbed in for half an issue and had like 10 amazing ideas of how Spider-Man could use his powers. And Ditko faces that like every issue. Yeah. So slingshotting up out of an air vent is one of our new things for this. And then what happens is they sort of are tussling and they fall into a sculptor's studio. Yep. Which Uh, just creates a great visual uh, place for the final part of this battle. It's one of those things where, yes, it's ridiculous that there's just a museum nearby that they fall into, but it does look... A museum of giant statues. These statues are bigger than... uh, These are larger than man-sized. Yep. It's it's a museum that specializes in huge statues, and um, it looks great. Yeah. Those... Uh, a fire begins. Almost um, immediately, there's a fire as well. And uh, so now they're fighting in flame-engulfed huge statues while they're just going at each other. It's, wood, it's really it's really great. Yeah, the wood is crumbling and these statues are tipping over and falling through the 
floor. Um, I mean, was Ditko working harder on these issues than anything he'd ever done before? Like, just think of all the drawing challenges he has every issue in Spider-Man, you know? Like, this one has, like, animals and, and like, the normal acrobatics in the cityscape. Now we got a museum full of stuff. Not to mention there's lots of, like, love and just sort of, like, human moments. Yeah, and just making that interesting can sometimes even be harder. Think of the the movie budget for this issue alone. You need Coney Island for a setting, New York City, a museum, um, animals. Yeah. Uh, like the production value of this issue of Spider-Man is through the roof. Um, but they can afford it at Marvel Comics. Yep. They've got an unlimited budget for things they drop. And um, Spidey runs out of webbing and the flames are surrounding him. He wants to save Doc Ock. Oh, yeah. That's a really interesting Oh, yeah. Part. So Doc, Doc Ock gets pinned under a statue during this yeah. fight. Even yeah. though Spider-Man's like, let's get out of here. But uh, Doc Ock wants to fight and then gets trapped under a statue statue and Spidey wants to save him. Yeah, he's a good guy, uh, but he can't. He can't get through the flames. It's too hot. Uh, there's a great uh, five panel close up of him reloading his web shooters. Yeah, which, which I does love. It de- it feels tense. You know, these flames are closing in on him. He's got to get these this webbing replaced. And then he's just barely able to use the webbing to create places to stand and to shield himself just just enough that he can get out. Uh, and luckily, the fire department is able to save Doc Ock. So he's not dead. So they, they get bring him out. Spider-Man couldn't. Yeah, I mean, the fire department and the police officers are the real heroes of this issue. Um, 30 years before 9-11, Marvel Comics was championing cops and firemen of New York like nobody else. Yeah. Uh, the fire department gets Doc Ock out and gives him to the police officer. Yep. Um, Doc Ock is... To cuff him and lure him away. <laughs> yeah. Um, Spider-Man and Doc Ock is fuming about this fight. Spider-Man didn't beat me. It was the fire. If not for the fire, everything would have been different. You might be right. I like that too because um, well, you don't want to have as if these villains are too easy for him to beat. Then the next time they come back, you're like, well, who cares? He's beaten this guy two or three times. But instead it's like, ah, things sort of worked out for Spider-Man this time. He's never really decisively beaten Dr. Octopus. Maybe that first time it was like one punch but he took a beating to do that yeah then we have yeah it's never it's not easy this is definitely this still up to this point his toughest villain oh god what a what a fun issue um and then we have a little coda with liz allen where she asks him to a party and he basically tells her that he's seeing somebody else yeah uh he leaves to go ask betty brant out on a date and oh there's also this great moment where uh he tells her to go out with flash you two deserve each other yeah sort of a dick thing to say after like kind of insulting them uh he goes although i know how boring he goes like i'm sure Flash will be happy to go instead of me. Although I know how boring it must be to have to use all those one syllable words when you talk to him. Anyway, you deserve each other. It's pretty mean, pretty mean thing. Yeah. And Flash is like, why that crummy? Uh, But then Liz, I love this line from Liz. Don't say it, Flash. We raided that after the way we've always treated Peter. Which is true, especially in the early issues. They were mercilessly cruel to a guy who's like uncle had just been murdered. (laughs) (laughs) They don't um, even let up when his uncle is dead. It's it's really they're really rough on this guy who seems fine. And one thing that's great that's ha- it's been happening the last couple issues and it happens more over the next is the teenagers start to become more like real characters like they're they're less just cartoon bullies. Yeah, uh, I, the evolution of them makes the makes the comic even more fun for me. Yeah, and so just Liz being aware, it's like, yeah, we have been jerks. Is a great True. little moment. Yep. Um, uh, and then Spider Man talks about how he got he even got some photos of the fight, so he's going to make a little money off this too. It's a happy ending for Spider Man. It's a yeah, it's a rare happy ending. Uh, and Stanley calls that out. His final caption because Stanley usually has a caption giving his thoughts on the story that he <laughs> just right. wrote. That he wrote. Um, as if he didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, he acts surprised by his own decision. He's like, you know how like big hair metal rock guitar 
guitarist. They'll be doing a guitar solo, but they look surprised at their own guitar solo. They'll be like, whoa, what's going? What am I doing? (laughs) Look at this. Uh, Stan Lee is like that about his stories. Fool, eh? See, we don't always have unhappy endings. Like anyone else, our web-spinning hero has his ups and downs. But if he thinks things are going to stay rosy, it's a good thing he doesn't suspect what's in store for him next-ish. <laughs> what a strange, what a strange, yeah, yeah. what a weird hipster. There. Didn't have to write issue. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. the end of that story. Next issue will be Mysterio. So Ooh. things do get uh, spooky. Yep. I love Mysterio. Um, great issue, huh? I mean, this is, this is one of the best. Just really, really, I really love this. I read this last night preparing for this podcast and I was like, oh man, this one's good. So this uh, might be, is this my favorite so far? Um, oh, I think it might be. It's definitely right up there with the it's other one of the top ones. Stock Ock and the second Vulture yeah. and Amazing Fantasy 15. Those are the ones that stand out. Yeah, this, this is a banner issue for sure. Um, so let's give out our awards. Great. Uh, first, we're going to do favorite Stan-ism. Okay, let's do it. Um, I have selected, this is from early when uh, Doc Ock has burst into the bugle and captured Betty Brant and he's holding Peter and J. Jonah back. Yeah. Uh, this is on page five, panel two. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both just being held there and J. Jonah Jameson is swinging a fist going, don't just dangle there, Parker. Tell him who I am. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a very funny, I mean, very funny boast. He's one of the all time greatest characters in Marvel comics, I think. Um, he doesn't say, do you know who I am? <laughs> demands that Parker does that. <laughs> Love it. Uh, my favorite is page 12, panel two. Flash Thompson says to Liz, after Liz is like freaking out and in love with Peter, Flash is like, but Liz, you can't be serious about puny Parker. He's not your type. You used to say so yourself. And it's just because he refers to him as puny Parker. And that is good. I love it. Um, there's another line I like that I, this, uh, I'm going to read it anyway, even though I've already picked one. Where uh, uh, You're hurting the integrity of our awards. <laughs> I know, I know. Where Doc Ock uh, tells Spider-Man, uh, you web-shooting freak, I'll show you no mercy. And Spider-Man's response is, what do you mean this time? A Florence Nightingale, you've never been. Yeah, that's pretty true. Yeah. <laughs> when have you been nice to me? <laughs> yeah, this time I'll show you no mercy. What, what like, mercy have you shown me in the past? You've wanted to kill funny. me from the first time you've seen me. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, uh, that was my runner-up choice. Oh, that's a good one. I uh, overlooked that. Uh, what's your favorite panel? So many. Yeah, it's a beautiful issue. Um, I mean, I mean, I could easily, there's like five or six i'm gonna say it's in the museum when uh the wide shot where uh the first panel in the museum where doc ock is like splayed wide open as he kind of like weirdly cartwheels in front of a giant head and spider-man seems to be doing some kind of handstand backwards to kick him or something like there's like a winged statue in the foreground that's fire in the corner i could yeah that's page 19 the last yeah i could have picked Five others are easy. Yeah. I mean, I love that's just a beautiful sequence. I picked uh, um, the unmasking panel. Yeah. Great one. Uh, page eight, the last panel with a close up of Jonah and Betty and the cop leaning in. It's just, it's it's burned into my and brain. It's so early. From a child. It's so early in the story. Yeah. It's, I mean, we're eight pages in to a 22 page story. That's crazy. Yeah. It's the, Not even at the halfway point. Um, yeah. It's a great one. Uh, there's, there's another, my runner up would be when he's doing weird, uh, not weird, he's doing like backflips and somersaults over the flagpoles. Page 16, panel six. Oh, yeah. When he's uh, escaping from Doc Ock. There's like four flagpoles in a row. It looks cool. I remember as a kid just being like, oh, man, being Spider-Man looks fun. There's a lot of great panels of Spider-Man jumping and leaping in this issue. Uh, You really get a feel for how fast he moves. Uh, I just, you know, uh, my Steve Ditko just should, uh, should be my, should be sorry. an artist that, like, if you're a fan of comic books, you should be you should be praising Steve Ditko every time you read a superhero comic book. I think he's just one one of the all time greats. 
I'm certainly not the only one to yeah. say that, but like, man, oh man. And and the fact that he could do this and he can also do like Doctor Strange, which was not like a fast moving character. It's not, not like he just did Daredevil, Spider-Man types. Yeah, he had a, he had a pretty uh, wide yeah. range of moods and stuff. Doctor Strange was sort of a magic spooky standstill guy. Uh, the question definitely doesn't have like an agile thing to him. He's a great. Yeah, he's way guy. more of a mood this is noir kind like, of thing. This is a rare action comic for Ditko. And he's so, so good, good at it. It really is so great. Uh, as, so what's uh, your highlight? It's amazing. My highlight. It's the unmasking. It's my panel. It's my favorite yeah. moment. I think it's just such a cool thing that it doesn't. No one even suspects that Peter is Spider-Man at all. It just seems too obvious. This lie that he, Peter doesn't even need to yeah. lie about it. I love when it just it's a thing. It's like, oh, you're this is we know what's going on. I mean, that's here. my highlight, too. But just to be different, I'll pick another one, which is Liz Allen falling in love with uh, Peter. It's a it's a nice yeah. twist that plays out in future issues. And it's really cool. Yeah, the Liz side of that story is really fun in the, in the future yeah. issues. What's your low light? I mean, I don't know how we even pick one. I don't know. Uh, I was hoping I would think of one as I was reading this. I, I'll pick a low light, but it's um, it's only because we have to. Like, I have no problem with anything in this issue. But uh, I'm yeah. going to say releasing the animals from the zoo is just a little more crazy than it is cool. Um, whereas everything else in the story is sort of logical to me. But I, I still loved it. It was worth it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that section was really, really fun. Uh, I guess my low light is the sequence where, like, Peter goes to the bugle, Spider-Man, dresses up as Peter to say hi to Betty. Then Doc Ock shows up up and he has to dress up as Spider-Man to find out what Doc Ock said. It feels like if your love interest was in danger, you'd just go to Coney yeah. Island. But also, I don't care. It works somehow. <laughs> it doesn't It doesn't stand out as too crazy. It's also one yeah. panel. It's not they don't like waste any time delay. in these early, early, early stories. Um, okay, those are our awards. Um, we've only got like seven yeah. or eight segments any left and this episode's me- done. <laughs> That's right. Uh, any personal memories? Um... I don't have a particular one about this issue, but I will, I will say that just like a general one, uh, it's it's just a general one being able to do this podcast with you. I feel like I, I discovered these stories when we got those little digest books, but then you read them and then we would like talk about them. And it's just, and since, since this is a peak story, I feel like this is one that I would reread a lot and turn back to a lot. So I guess I just associate this particular issue with, I mean, it's kind of a meta memory with just like my whole relationship with Spider-Man. You know, this is like a favorite issue. Yeah. I think the nice thing that we both read these is that it gave us reasons to keep rereading them and talking about them. And this podcast is just yet another excuse. to do that. And a lot of the people who are following this podcast and tweeting at us and posting on our Instagram account talk about like, oh, this is great rereading them again. Yeah, they really hold up. For those that haven't read them, it's just like, it's fun to, like reading a comic, I don't know, I don't know that many people that read comics still at the end of the day. So I read a comic and I'm like, well, that was good and no one will talk to me about it. It can be lonely. Uh, Um, And and it's great to be able to talk about it. And I've revisited these at several times in my life and they, and they, they do hold up. I mean, like, yeah, there's certain things that are very dated about the era and um, you know, they were, they were made in a hurry. So like sometimes the pacing's a little weird, but they're incredibly wordy, but that doesn't seem to hurt them. It gives it style. It gives it style. If a comic came out like this now, I'd be like, why is everyone talking in every panel? Yeah. But, uh, it doesn't bother me when I reread this at all. It works somehow. It's one of those, it's a good alchemy of, of weird things. Um, it makes it particular. It's, it's not generic. It doesn't feel like it was written by a machine or a corporation. It, It feels very, it's got a lot of personality, both from the artist and the writer. Yeah, 
And I do believe like at this point, Marvel still like Stanley must have just been loving it. He's like, this is great that we get to tell these stories. Yeah, uh, I think did- maybe he always loved it. But I feel like there's aspects of it probably when his relationship with Ditko and Kirby started to sour where it wasn't as much fun. Yeah. But I think he was just having a blast at this time. Uh, recommendations. Kevin, I read comics this week. Oh, cool. I, uh, I, this I, comic? No, uh, no. Well, yes. But I mean, like I actually read new newish comics. I went to um, oh, great. Secret Headquarters, which is a comic book shop on Sunset Boulevard here in Los Angeles. And I just spent like a ton of money and I bought the trades I had not read yet of Hawkeye by uh, Matt Fraction and um, I think it's David Aha. Sure, yeah. Um, and uh, it's a really fun series and uh, people really, you know, raved about it when it first came out. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, late to the party in that respect, but it's good enough that I still think a recommendation holds up and I was just having fun reading about, and this is the um, male Hawkeye, not Kate Bishop Hawkeye. That's right. Um, this is Clint Barton. Clint Barton, Barton yeah. And um, I, the art to me reminds me a lot of mid 80s David Mazzuchelli on Daredevil. And I yeah. love it's it's minimalist and and sort of uh, uh, sim- colored in very sort of like big fields of simple color. That's so it's kind of like it's uh, very primal and simple. And the Matt Fraction has a lot of chatty dialogue where people are sort of doing like Quentin Tarantino esque asides and stuff in a good way. And it's it's a fun read. Yeah, it's, it's a great run. Um, and I, Fernie on the earlier episode when he was our guest uh, recommended the most recent Hawkeye starring Kate Bishop by Kelly Thompson. Yeah. Uh, I think you'd like that too. I think it's I really bought, cool. I also bought those and once I catch up with Clint Barton, I'm going right into the Kate Bishop uh, Clint shows up at the end of it and his relationship with Kate, just like in the uh, the one you're reading, is just really fun. Great. I'm going to recommend, uh, and this is sort of just sort of a random thing maybe to recommend, yeah. uh, but I'm recommending uh, Journey into Mystery, uh, a run of comics. This was a run that uh, Kieran Gillen did, uh, mm-hmm. and this was at a period where Journey into Mystery had been... Um, uh, I guess like Thor had gone away for a while or something. Okay. And so Journey into Mystery uh, uh, kind of came out of the Thor. T- or I think what it was was like Thor was relaunching, but they took the number of Thor, which was like some high number, and turned it back into Journey into Mystery, which was the original title of Thor. Right. Uh, and they kept the comic around for a while and they just made it star Loki. Oh, interesting. Uh, and at this time, weirdly, the, the status quo of Loki was that he was a child. Okay. He'd been sort of died and reborn as a child. Okay. Um. And I think when this writer was given the the characters like, hey, do you want to write Loki? We can make him an adult again. I think he was like, nah, leave him as a kid. Uh, and in this story, basically, Loki is a kid. He's got no powers. He doesn't have magic like Loki does. So he's just a kid who lives in a city of gods and nobody likes him because he's the evilest person who's ever lived in their world. Uh, but he's trying to be good and he has no powers. And his only ability is basically to talk to people and he knows everyone. And so he's he's like wheeling and dealing and making promises to try to stop stop these threats and help Thor and do all this other stuff. Hmm. And it's just a really fun story and really sort of tragic by the end. When did it, when did it come out? Oh, I guess maybe 2010. Is that so like five or six years ago? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It looks like, uh, yeah, it was sort of a finite story. Um, and, what was uh, the name of the writer again? Uh, Kieran Gillen. I might be mispronouncing that. Okay. Uh, he's done some other stuff. That's really good. This is where I sort of discovered him. He was already someone lots of people knew about, but I sort of was just, Oh, I'm going to try this out. This seems like a cool idea. And I often think some of the best Marvel and DC comics are in sort of these books where 
nobody was playing. Like no one was like, ah, oh, everyone wants to read a story about kid Loki. <laughs> but it's sort of like, hey, we got this character. Anyone want to do something with it? And he's like, I think I could do something with it. Nice. And it's great. It's funny. It's sweet. Um, it crosses over with a lot of stuff, which sounds annoying, but still sort of works. Yeah. It, like it's written well enough that that doesn't bother you. I think like the first storyline takes place in the shadow of like whatever Marvel event is happening. And Loki is basically trying to rewrite, rewrite uh, prophecies to help Thor out or something. Cool. Uh, in a way that like you wouldn't, you don't even know what happens in the main story, but in the background, it's like, oh, Thor had an advantage because of this or whatever. Um, and that's just how it starts. And it's really good. Um, and uh, uh, another part that I love about it is during this story, Thor, I, this is my favorite part about Thor and Loki. Thor wants to believe in Loki during this whole storyline. He's a sucker for his brother or his half brother. This is like, Loki's like, I turned over a new leaf. And Thor's like, okay. <laughs> and everyone else is like, we don't trust him. And Thor's like, I think you should. And he's my brother. Give him one more chance. And I love every time that happens. Yeah. Um, and at the very end, there's a base. I'm spoiling the whole story. But at the end, Thor, Loki knows he's going to grow up and become evil again at some point. Okay. And he tells Thor, don't trust me. Ooh. And Thor goes, no, I'm going to. You're my brother. Ooh. He's just like, oh, you're just such an idiot. And that's like, oh, that's a really sweet moment. This mirrors our relationship. Yeah. Uh, you're the Loki. Yep, that's right. As a kid, I warned you, I'll be evil someday. Don't do a podcast uh, with me. But it's, uh, it's a long-ish run. Um, and it was, I think it was all collected as a... Uh, um, it was all collected in like an omnibus or something, but it's, a uh, uh, I don't know. It's really good. Yeah. Oh, so it's, uh, 113 to 125 are the actual issues plus a few crossover issues with like Thor. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know. It was one of my favorite runs. I've re read it twice already. I'll probably read it again sometime soon. Uh, all right. Good I love characters that have no powers. Yeah. You like depowered characters. Yeah. Just like all I can do is talk <laughs> um, and nobody trusts me. Everything was against Loki and it was really fun. Uh, that's my recommendation. Um, we don't have any reader mail this month, but we do did have someone contact me on Facebook to point out I made a mistake in an earlier podcast. Okay. I referred to Mockingbird as uh, Bobby Chase. Yes. Uh, Bobby Chase was a Marvel editor or uh, a oh, comics editor. A real person. A real person with a great comic book sounding name. Uh, Bobby Morse was uh, a Mockingbird. Okay. Morse code. So uh, thank you for correcting me. You've changed from Loki to Thor with that correction. <laughs> thank you. Oh, phew. <laughs> um, and that's uh, all our segments, Will. All right, Kevin, great episode. Um, I'm excited for next issue to read about Mysterio. Yeah, let's keep it going. All right. See you next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Campfire. <laughs>